Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the E podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside Justin Cohn from the Fort Wayne Journal Gazette. Supposedly, you have uh, you have a disguise on with that mustache. I don't <laughs> know if this is really you. Well, now okay. Well, now I can hear it too, but it's almost like when you see those gifts of someone dressed like very clearly, just put like the person in question, but the mustache is the one former disguise. That's what you look uh, like right I, now. I should first of all, I feel like we talked about this last year, but I, when I do this, I'm like channeling my father circa 1984. Like maybe I should bring a photo next week and you can see like it's it's sort of eerie i think i look like him but last year when ben boudreau was coaching the comets we did a post-game zoom and he came on and he saw this mustache and he just started dying laughing and i think he referred to it as a lip sweater i think yeah, the lip sweater the was the term so yeah i like to break it out every now and then gets the wife uh less than pleased with me but the daughter sits there and encourages this she she likes seeing the mustache on dad so but yeah, I'm under no illusions that it's a good look for me. I just before November, I don't shave for 11 months and then I sort of get a mustache. That's my that's my version of November because I'm so not hairy on my face. Um, how you been, man? What's up with you? Good, good. Yeah, uh, you know, what, last night was doing some work, watched uh, Rapid City uh, versus Kansas City. And uh, I'll probably, you know, mention them a little bit later, but uh, Kansas City. That's the team that I misfired the most on when I was starting to think about this season and who was going to be good. They remain undefeated now two and a half weeks into the season and uh, looking very good early. But uh, other than that, doing well. doing well. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I was I'm doing a magazine story on Matt Cook becoming head coach. And I thought this was interesting to share. I'm sure we talked about this a lot during the show where there's weeks where we were like, uh, are they going to name a coach? It was. It are, was they gonna, are they going to feel the team? Are they like, playing what's going on? this year? Yeah, like they. They. It yeah. was. Rec- they signed one guy. I think at one point. Like we're talking about first week of October, and then you know it surprised kind of all of us from the outside when Matt Cook was named head coach, and I was really curious to hear and to see what you know really went on here, and I got some insight. But I want to say an interesting story first that he told me. So apparently, when when he had his intro press conference. Some people may have seen it. He mentioned that he had a connection to the Maple Leafs that was a story for another day. And he'd let us, you let reporters dig on it. I tried to dig, came up empty. So I just asked him again, not think I would get it. Here's an interesting fact about Matt Cook and his relationship with the Leafs. Apparently, according to Matt Cook, which is no reason not to believe, he was not drafted in his first year of eligibility out of junior. He had afterwards signed an entry-level contract with the Leafs, supposedly. Throughout okay. that year, on the game sheets, it had Matt Cook and then the Leafs logo. You know, when you see, like, the college or uh, junior lineup sheets will have the player, and then if they're NHL affiliate, they'll have the logo. He, for a long time, had thought he was a Leafs prospect. And then he found out his agent either didn't file it in time or there was some sort of paperwork malfunction and it was just sitting on cliff fletcher's desk they didn't sign him by the deadline and they lost his rights and then he was drafted by vancouver is that not crazy yeah that's that's a nice little clerical uh clerical oh yeah right yeah so he so the connection is i guess you could say former sort of not really but kind of prospect (laughs) of the leafs 
And so anyways, that I thought was interesting. But the, the cool thing that I took away from it was, so Matt Cook, for those that don't know, last couple of years, you know, if you looked up elite prospects or hockey DB, you would have seen that he did do some Minnesota high school hockey coaching, which is true. But really where he got in the Leafs radar is he had this company still intact in where they did skill development with players in Minnesota and it got quite popular. And the Leafs, you know, were when they when they made their uh, departure, when the Marlies coaches had uh, moved on, Cook reached out right away to Ryan Hardy, GM of the Marlies, and gave his resume and hoping maybe an assistant or whatnot. They brought him to development camp. Um after interviews and he was at Marley's development camp and Todd Skirving on the growlers kind of told me like he saw cook there, but his mind never really thought like he'd become the growlers head coach. Like those two were really put together. And then as cook said, it ended up working out and they offered him the job. And from there, like they, from Marley's training camp to the start of the season, they basically, he had a couple practices with the guys left over from the training camp in Toronto. They flew back to the rock. He basically in the air Canada lounge in Toronto was asking Todd Skirby, like, all right, like, what do I need to know? Like they were kind of giving a crash course shows up to the rock, has his intro thing. They have like three practices and then they're starting to play games. So <laughs> they're just, they were going at it completely. And, and the growlers usually have returning guys, a decent chunk. They've only got three this year, which is quite a contrast to years past. They kind of slapped this team together in on a whim, which is kind of hilarious. And I'm, it's almost it's almost so ECHL like, but it's really not given like how the training camps are run stuff. But anyways, uh, he did that, and uh, yeah, he's just kind of on the fly coaching the team, and they're they're just off and running within three days. They they got everything kind of put together. They have Adam Party, uh, Newfoundland native, who was on the Growlers Kelly Cup championship team. He's there as a development coach. So there's a lot of a lot of interesting faces uh, leading the Growlers right now. It's crazy. Like, you know, the, the training camps are so short to begin with. I mean, like a long camp at this level is like, yeah, 10 days, Even 11 if it's days. That long, right. Sometimes you don't have the entire entirety of your roster too. Right. So. Right. But don't tell the fans that like they expect perfection day one. And I'm not saying, you know, it's the same for generally everybody, but like Fort Wayne got, you know, annihilated in their, in their, <laughs> in their second home game. Um, what was it? It was like 11 to or nine to two. I think it was, uh, I'm kind of blanking on it now, but they just got annihilated. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't overact overreact either way early in the season. Like, you know, talk to me when it's December 1st, because you know, these guys, they haven't played together. They need to learn each other. They got a new coach. I mean, all these things, but I do get the other perspective, which is, you paid your money, <laughs> you paid your money for your tickets or your season ticket holder. And you want to at least see the big effort and, and all that. So, but yeah, it's, and it's not just hockey, you know, I covered minor league basketball for a while. They don't have a ton of time together either. You know, they're just kind of mm -hmm. thrown together and you got a few days to figure it out. And then you're going onto the court with a limited understanding of your systems. And, mm -hmm. uh, but for a coach who hasn't been at this level, trying to figure out like, what do I, what do I do? Like, what, what do I run them through? Like that's, yeah. that's a whole other level of it. Right. Absolutely. I mean, you also have to keep in mind too, when you're kind of onboarding a coach, it's, there's so much that goes, even with the support they have from the lease organization, any ECHL coach is doing more than like an AHL coach or NHL coach or any like major junior NCAA, right? There's so many facets. Right. So you're not even just learning how to be a coach or how, what the team is about. You're learning like all the back end stuff. He's still learning. I'm sure. So it's right. uh, it's quite the process. Meanwhile, Newfoundland's four and two. And yeah, exactly. 
we we know they've got you know this was good for them the scheduling though because they've got such a, a big home ice advantage because of the travel so all of their games have been played at home so i think that kind of probably helps a coach like cook at least you know get everything solidified get his for feet sure. wet you know before we gotta start going on the road right yeah and the last thing i'll say what's interesting to me about him as the hiring is because of his obviously his pedigree Stanley cup champion it's been around the game as a player but that that skill development is interesting because the growlers will stash a lot of these high profile kind of prospects that have fizzled out, right. That maybe can't play at HL level, but they're developing them and getting to that next level. A skill development background as ECHL coaches is, is kind of unique. And I like that. It, it's interesting. I think. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. I think, I think we're opening our eyes. You know, we've talked about before let's, you know, it doesn't have to be, the coaching lifer, the guy that's got 10 years experience before he gets a job at this level. I think you can open it up to guys that are just, Hey, I was playing last year or I was doing high school hockey or mm-hmm. skills development, or, you know, I know a, a scout at this level. I mean, I know that's very different, but really his other job, he, he sells like hockey tape. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's got this whole other business, like where he's scouting guys. So, uh, you know, just because he's got an eye for talent. So I just think there's a lot of different things we're starting to open our eyes to. Absolutely. So you want to talk about James Harden here, Justin? Well, so I shall podcast my friend. Uh, <laughs> yesterday, you know where you are, mustache. I, I'm, I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to bring it back. To all right. Station. I'll let you go. So with maybe it's still a stretch, but I, I'm driving around yesterday. I'm listening to all this talk about the James Harden trade and what they are harping on is. he's he's one of the best players ever to not win a championship Mm. even though right you know mvp so many opportunities where we thought okay this might be the year for james harden and you know they're discussing you know why did it never happen or why can't he stay in one place you know all those things so that got me thinking gotta go with joe thornton here joe thornton just retired the best to never win championship Maybe I should have. My, I'm the old guy, so I immediately always go to Ray Bork. Now, Ray Bork ah, yes. eventually won it. Mm-hmm. And apologies to you Colorado fans, and I guess especially you Boston fans, but it never sat right with me. Like, I don't begrudge Ray Bork. My gripe is not with Ray Bork. My gripe was always kind of, this is a bit of a tangent, with the fans who were like Boston fans and now sort of like, there were all these people wearing half avalanche, half Bruins jerseys. And I always thought that was crazy. Now as a Detroit lions fan, was I extremely happy to see Matthew Stafford go win a super bowl? Absolutely. But at no point. Right. Yeah. Was yeah. I like, uh, was I adopting the Rams as my team? Right. Fair um, enough. But you're right. I should have gone more hockey. Joe Thornton's a good one. I'm just, uh, yeah. but whatever. James Harden was on my mind and it got me thinking are there ECHL guys who have been around forever mm-hmm. and not sniffed a chance at a Kelly cup? Now there's a lot of differences of course, at this level, because essentially everybody's playing on a year to year contract, right? Like mm-hmm. you can go on to another team or they can cut you, they could trade you. This is the minor league. So there's a lot more reasons that guys maybe hang them up or go to Europe. I mean, there's a lot, just a lot of different factors here, but I did start thinking there's gotta be those guys. Right. Mm -hmm. And one other little note about it, I'll give you is I'm in Fort Wayne and Fort Wayne won the cup in 2021. 
and we don't need to debate whether there should be an asterisk there. But there were a bunch of guys on that team who got their first cups. Sean Sidlowski was the big one at this point. He had been in Fort Wayne for, I think it was eight years, which was an eternity with one team. A.J. Jenks, all-time great ECHL player. He had gotten very close with Toledo. He won one. Justin Vive, who had been in Cincinnati forever. The list goes on and on. So that championship alone in a pandemic kind of checked off a lot of these guys I'm I might have been referencing because right teams uh you know like vibe like Cincinnati didn't play so he came over to Fort Wayne for one year got his cup and now he's back in Cincinnati but before you mentioned the guys I guess the question I would argue is given what you just mm-hmm. said wouldn't you say that in the ECHL it's almost like with checking out boxes it's almost like unfit you can't really make the Cali Cup one of them yes I that's a great point like it's there's, not the same kind of – not to say there's like another way to do it, but it's almost like a – it's not the same as when you're looking at should this guy be in the Hall of Fame, right, with like the NBA or the NHL, the championship parts brought up, but the ECHL, right, you can't really do that. It's a great point. Like like there's parity. It's very hard to build a kind of dynasty. Like there are some teams that you kind of expect to be in the playoffs every year. But it's not like the NHL or the NBA where there are certain teams and you've already like, you know, they're going to be competitive. You know, they're going to be, you know, I guess there's just there's dynasties, you know, but that doesn't really happen at the ECHL level. So I I think you're right. Like, it's more common for a guy to maybe not even sniff the playoffs, but I still think we can sort of find those guys. So fair. Who do you got? Who do you have in mind? Like, who's like, well, some criteria for me, like. There are guys who have been in the ECHL for what seems like forever, but they're only like 25 or 26 because they broke in. So like I kind of came up with some criteria when I was kind of researching this. I felt like you needed to be older than 26 and be in the league for like at least six years to kind of give me that vibe. Like, so there was a guy that there was one guy that was just immediately he came to my mind and I think he kind of fits the, the biggest criteria and that's Justin Taylor of Kalamazoo. So Justin Taylor is 34 years old. This is his ninth ECHL season. He's played 797 regular season games in the ECHL. That's an incredible number. That is. But he has gotten in 72 playoff games, which is, you know, Kalamazoo hasn't sniffed a championship in several years, but he went to the finals back in 2011 when they lost to the Alaska Aces, not even in the league anymore. Uh, so he was the biggest one that kind of came up to me. I was like, that's the guy that's really like, let's get him a cup. Like he kind of deserves it at this point. Yeah. Uh, he's got a couple of teammates though. Eric Bradford, he's in his ninth season and he's only played in five ECHL playoff games. That was with Utah in 2017. He's played almost 400 regular season games. And then there's another guy on Kalamazoo, Tanner Sorensen, uh, he's played seven ECHL seasons. So starts with Justin Taylor, but I'll give you a few other big guys. And then there's some, another tier Garrett Hunt of South Carolina. He's 36 years old. This is his 13th ECHL season. Now he was on some very good Stockton Thunder teams, another team that's not even here anymore uh, years ago. So he's played in 70 playoff games. He's played in over 700 regular season games. He's more of an enforcer. He's had 252 points, 2,700 penalty minutes in his career. So Garrett Hunt, 
also up there. I'm not sure because, like I said, 13 seasons, why I don't put him above Taylor. I guess it's because Taylor's more of a skill player to me, and that so he kind of stands out. Logan Nelson of Rapid City. This is his ninth ECHL season. He's got about 500 regular season games, only 17 playoff games. Anthony Collins of the Savannah Ghost Pirates, another kind of tough guy. He's 34. This is his 10th season. He's got almost 500 regular season games, only six postseason games. Those were in 2015 with the Quad City Mallards, also no longer in the league. Uh, Here's another really good one, though, to me. A.J. White of the Idaho Steelheads. He's 31, eighth ECHL season. He's played almost 500 games. He's had some shots, though. He has 45 playoff games. Obviously, the Steelheads were great last year, a few with Utah. Um, Mike McKee of the Tulsa Oilers. This is his eighth season. He's 30 years old. Um, he had one good run in 2019, so he's got 27 playoff games. I'll give you kind of an unusual one. Barely has any ECHL experience, but Ian White of Norfolk. Uh Never won the Stanley Cup when he was in the NHL, though he played in 22 NHL playoff games. He's 39 years old. This is only his second ECHL season, but, you know, I, maybe we should try and get him on the show. But it's like, wow, you know, elusive championship for him at, at 39 years old. And then I'll just quickly give you a bunch of other names, guys that have been around kind of forever. Uh, Atlanta's got a couple. Cody Sylvester, he's 31. Jacob Graves is 28. Uh, Indy has Chase Lang. Uh, this is his seventh EGHL season. He's only played in four playoff games. A lot of that's because he's in a tough division. Uh, Louis Caparuso of Cincinnati. Um, he's 34. Uh, he spent a bunch of time in Europe, so he's a little bit of a different kind of case because he went back and forth. Kevin McKernan, uh, he's 29. This is his seventh ECHL season. He's only got 15 playoff games. Connor Doherty with Maine is 30, also his seventh season. And Alex Kyle, also of Maine, this is his seventh season. He's only got 19 playoff games. But if we're kind of doing my, uh, not Mount Rushmore, but uh, guys that are, are maybe the James Hardens, Justin Taylor, Garrett Hunt, Logan Nelson, Anthony Collins, A.J. White, Mike McKee, those are the guys that came up with. That's the Mount Rushmore. That's a very, that's like two Mount Rushmores for you yeah, right there. Yeah, I like but, that. But, you know, I, you're right. It's not comparable to the yeah. Joe Thorntons of the world, the Ray Borks of the world. But, you know, it takes a it takes a certain type of guy to spend a lot of time in the ECHL without a ton of success uh, in the playoffs. I mean, I have a lot of respect for those guys, but I guarantee you they all want those cups. You know, like it was for it was sure. dogging Sean Sedlowski Sidlo- and uh, A.J. Jenks when they were here in 2001. It was a big deal for them to win. Let's move on to our team of the week, the Atlanta Gladiators, affiliate of the National Predators and Milwaukee Admirals, off to a 3-0 and start as of this recording, which is Wednesday afternoon. Hopefully we didn't jinx our undefeated start. Led by Derek Nesbitt, a longtime player, shortly was a player coach as well. He did win a Kelly Cup, though, early in his career, so you can't count him, but a legendary ECHL player in his own right. Uh, you know, he's he's... He's a first-year head coach, but he's almost not in a way because for a long time he was this player coach, and you know Jeff Pyle, who's was uh, ironically his first coach uh, when he was first with the Gladiators, and now is still there as kind of a GM role. 
Um, he relied a lot on Nesbitt. And I think that him becoming behind the bench is just the only loss for them really is that he's got a clipboard. He's not, you know, carrying hockey gloves on the ice. He's very much been the leader of the team for a long time. And that's another guy I did a story on recently uh, for the magazine that he, uh, he was a really interesting person for a long time there towards the end of his career. He was still an elite ECHL player was a player coach. And he was also running the, you know, ice hockey federation of an Atlanta area community center at the same time. He's wearing many hats for a while. So becoming a head coach for the ECHL is seamless where there's so many responsibilities at all times. So he was right. Was that like the youth hockey kind of organization yep. down there? Yeah. yeah. The name, the exact name is escaping me, but that's what it was. And he, he kind of worked it out where he, well, both parties knew. So the gladiators knew that he also had that gig, but you know, he wasn't missing games for it. Right. It was kind of when they were in town and doing things and he was scheduling ahead of time and stuff, but yeah, he's been kind of, wearing a lot of hats for a long time. And I think it's interesting because from what Jeff Pyle was telling me, it's almost like Nesbitt was groomed for this. Like even when he was a player coach, it was, it wasn't just, you know, tactics and then helping him relay the message. It was like, here's how immigration works. Here's how housing works, right? Like here's, it, it was almost like the, this step was inevitable. The second um, he had done it, he was assistant coach for a bit as well, but this was kind of always the plan to become a head coach. And to do that, you need to know every kind of corner of the operation, the ECHL. Yeah. They're like, that's good if they groomed him in that respect, because I've definitely seen a lot of first time coaches at this level. And they're, you know, I've seen the lineup cards get messed up more than once. Why, by new, writing? New, well, just uh, like trying to remember what they did, like, you know, put in the, put a wrong guy in the lineup, like somebody that, they oh, awesome. were intending to scratch. I've seen that twice with very new coaches happen. Uh, and so, you know, I've seen penalties because of that. That can be embarrassing. I've definitely seen a lot of immigration work visa hiccups that prevent some player that you fully expected to be a dynamo for you. And then they don't arrive for several weeks or months, if at all. And mm -hmm. then, you know, it's always a little bit hard to find out the true story, but sometimes you find out, well, somebody messed something up you know, we did the wrong form or, you know, it made the wrong application. So it's, it's good that uh, he got groomed for that. I mean, in, in Fort Wayne, they have an assistant coach that they're sort of, they've been grooming him for that for a couple of years. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, it takes a lot of time of him kind of shadowing the general manager here to figure out how to do all those logistics and the paperwork. So it's not easy. Um, how many years this year? How are they doing? Yeah, so a few players that have really stood out. Mitchell Fossier is the big one. He's got four goals and seven points in three games. Um, you know, they've just looked good offensively. You know, Reese Vitelli, uh, he's got a goal and seven points. He's actually on a contract with Tucson of mm -hmm. the AHL. So, of course, Atlanta is affiliated with Nashville and then the Milwaukee Admirals. But because the Coyotes don't have an ECHL affiliate, they seem to be loading up um, the gladiators with some AHL players as well. So that kind of helps them not to the extent necessarily of Norfolk where they may get a bunch of help from two people, uh, but certainly good for Atlanta. Micah Miller, uh, another guy that is on a Tucson contract. He has four goals in the first three games and the goaltender they played two, but the one that stood out is Gustav Grigals. He's 2-0-0. He had a shutout uh, last week. He has stopped 72 of 74 shots. Excuse me. 
72 or 74 shots in two appearances this year. He's on a Milwaukee contract. Uh, they've got two guys on NHL contracts right now. Defenseman Luke Prokop, who we talked about last week, and Jake Mattier. Uh, so Atlanta opened their season defeating Savannah four to two, but last week they went into Allen and beat the Americans in their first two home games, six to three and six to nothing. And Allen's never an easy place to play, but there was a lot of hype going on last weekend, home opener, new owner, Miles Jack, uh, friend of the show, Miles Jack from last week's episode. So I thought those were two pretty impressive wins. I watched a good bit of, um, I guess it was the six to three win and Atlanta's power play has looked really good so far. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but all three games that the gladiators have played so far, special teams has been a big factor. So a uh, really good start for Atlanta. Uh, like to see that. Awesome. Yeah. It's interesting too, because I wonder, they talk a lot about Atlanta being an NHL market for the third time. Um, you know, which is whatever, but the, the surrounding area in Atlanta, like I think relatively speaking, the gladiators have been a pretty big draw there. And listen, apples and oranges, but the Atlanta metropolitan area is massive. Do you think that there's enough love for hockey there to, to really have a shot? So, uh, you know, I went to college in Atlanta. I went to Emory. So this is going back years. I don't know how much my experience then equates to today, but you know, I have a lot of friends that still live there. You know, I think it's a tough market for a minor league team. Like, uh, I'm looking up their attendance right now. Let's we'll see if I have it in front of me. Um, you know, I know that they don't get a lot of media attention, you know, and, and that's tough to penetrate that. Yeah, that market, uh, and for sure. Certainly that would help them. Uh, but, you know, they do all right. So let's see. They're averaging – they had 6,400 fans um, – for their one home game. So I, I guess I don't have the average for you, but you know, they do all right, you know, for where they are geographically, you know, me, I loved having NHL hockey in Atlanta. Do I think in, they should... on a college budget too? It probably worked perfectly. Well, they didn't have it then. Back oh, then right, right. it was the Atlanta Knights. Right. Um, so that was old IHL then that's how old I am. Um, but I don't know. I just don't think you can go back to a, a market of, time i just personally don't see it uh but you know the gladiators you know i think if they have success i think they will start to get even more people even more of a media um following and and that would be great for them but for sure you know, in terms of it being a, a great hockey market i don't know i mean i i just don't know they gladiators have been there for a long time they've yeah. had good people there good hockey people good players mm -hmm. they've had good broadcasters i mean it's it is what it is yeah uh, but if they had a great amount of success if they were able to feel the championship team i do think that could turn the tide a little bit for them get them more attention and Derek nesbitt obviously he played there he knows that market i think mm -hmm. he got a right person to help kind of usher in that success a little bit Let's get to our prospect of the week, Jalen Smerick of the Cincinnati Cyclones. So Jalen Smerick, I'll tell you, I'll give you just a, a short little story. His first ECHL games were with Fort Wayne, and he was a very young prospect, fresh out of juniors then. I believe it was an Arizona Coyotes prospect at that time. And I tell you, it was one of the rougher debuts I've ever seen for a young player. I mean, he just looked totally overwhelmed at the time. 
so different now. Like he is so good now at both ends of the ice. Uh, I got to see it up close in the playoffs last year. Great two-way defenseman. I mean, you have to account for him offensively in so many different ways. Last season, he had 11 goals and 50 points in 53 games. Now, that was a high-scoring Cincinnati team last year. Um, but, you know, you just have to account for him. Uh, special teams, moving the puck up ice. He plays with an edge. Like, he had 84 penalty minutes last year. He'll get physical. He'll agitate. He gets under guys' skins. Um, so, you know, he didn't win defenseman of the year last year because there was Owen Hedrick of Idaho. But you have to have Smerrick kind of penciled in, I would say, as the front runner to get it this year because same cast of characters back with the Cyclones, uh, a coach that knows how to use him, and he's just been on the upswing. So he's not on an NHL contract or an AHL contract this season, which is sort of crazy to me because mm-hmm. he's only 26. And look what he did last year. Um, so, it, you know, he's just a good player. His first four games this year, he's got no goals. He's got 10 assists. Two of those assists were on shorthanded goals. Now, Cincinnati's not off to the best start. They're 1-3-0. and But he leads the team in scoring. Patrick Polino is second. He's got four goals and six points. I have no doubt that those other guys that we're used to, the Louis Caparusas, the Justin Vibes, the Zach Andrusiaks, their scoring is going to catch up. But a really good start for Jalen Smerrick. And, you know, could he be the next, like, Matt Register? Like a guy that just carves out this – Well, just carves out an unbelievable career as an offensive defenseman who plays with some grits and like everybody kind of wants them. I I could see that. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's done moving up to the AHL, not at 26. I can't imagine somebody looking for an offensive defenseman doesn't give him a call up like, you know, maybe like a team like let's just say Chicago. If they find themselves needing a little bit of help, uh, you know, he would kind of fit that bill to me. But uh, he's carving out a real nice career. And, and just, I just, I still remember, I just remember that first game in Fort Wayne. And I was like, I felt bad for him because I was like, he's not ready to be at this level and mm-hmm. to see him now. And he's gone through some stuff on and off the ice. I mean, he's just a much different player now. It's good to see. Absolutely. All right. Before we sign off, hit it, Justin coast to coast, Justin. Combs, well, yeah. Coast. So I just wanted to, we never really got into this and I like to make some predictions and I feel of course, like I like a couple games like, of the season. Yeah. You want a bit of a sample size? Well, no, I will, I will be forthright and I will tell you that I, I've only made two changes to okay. this. Okay. Because I don't like to react too much from the first couple of weeks. Um, let me just real quickly, I'll give you the teams that I got going to the playoffs. I'll just list them off. Sure. So I've got Cincinnati, Fort Wayne, Indy, and Toledo out of the um, out of the uh, Central Division. Excuse me. Um, in the Mountain Division, I have Idaho, Allen, Utah, and I'll be honest. I had coming in. I had Rapid City. But this is probably the one change I might make now that I've seen them and seen the start is I do like Kansas City. And Kansas City, I probably didn't give them enough credit. They were a playoff team last year. You know, it's tough to do to go through and make these predictions. You go and you look at who they've got on the training camp roster, but you don't exactly know who all the teams are going to get from the AHL. You don't know who's actually going to show up. 
Um, you know, Tato had in Kansas City, he was a up-and-comer, you know, a couple of years ago. He was an assistant in Florida. Um, and you know, maybe I just didn't give it enough credit. So I do think Kansas City and Rapid City may be jostling for that fourth and final playoff spot out of the mountain division. Uh, but that's the one change I'll tell you that I have already made. In the Eastern Conference, the North Division, uh, I like the Adirondack Thunder. I like Pete MacArthur as a coach. I think he's done a good job there. They were the feel-good story last season, squeaking into the playoffs. There were some crazy events there, an empty net goal that they scored into because the opponent needed to get a win, not an overtime win, as I recall. Uh, I got the Maine Mariners. I got the Newfoundland Growlers. And I have the Reading Royals. Now, here's the other asterisk that I'll give you. I told you two things that have maybe changed my mind on. The other one is the Trois-Riviere Lions. They look really good early. I'm not quite ready to say that I was totally wrong. I should have them as a playoff team. But in my early predictions, when I wrote it all down, I had them finishing last of the division. I don't see that anymore, not based on the way they've started. And then the South Division, which is the division I think is the toughest, I have Jacksonville, defending champion Florida, South Carolina, the team I picked to win the cup last year, and then they lost in the first round, and the Greenville Swamp Rabbits. Those are the teams I have making the playoffs. In the playoffs, I'll, I'll just go through it real quickly. Um, well, here, I'll just take you to the division finals. The division finals, I have Fort Wayne defeating Cincinnati. I have Idaho. <laughs> Homer. See, everybody calls me. I knew you're going to call me a homer, but if I'm a homer, shouldn't I be picking them to win the championship? Would that make me a homer or at least get to the finals? Well, true. We'll, we'll get to that. So I have Fort Wayne <laughs> defeating Cincinnati, Idaho defeating Utah, Newfoundland defeating Adirondack, and Jacksonville defeating Florida in the division finals. That would leave us with a conference finals of Idaho versus Fort Wayne. I have Idaho beating Fort Wayne to get back to the finals and then Jacksonville defeating Newfoundland, Newfoundland probably getting sick of those Florida teams in the playoffs. And then that would have a Kelly cup finals of the Jacksonville Icemen versus the Idaho Steelheads. I have the Jacksonville Icemen winning the cup. Why? I just like their roster from top to bottom. They have checked all the boxes. They've got scores. They've got character guys. They've got scoring on the back end. They've got toughness. Uh, this was even before they signed Anthony Petrozelli, who was brought in right before um, the regular season start. He's right. been a longtime successful player who also won a cup. Um, I guess my one question is the goaltending. Is it going to be Matt Vernon for most of the way? Is he going to hold up? But I just – I like them coming out of the pressure cooker of that tough division. I like the way they built that roster, but it also would, you know, this, uh, this is sort of, I'm counting on that at some point, Florida is just not going to be able to keep sustaining this. Right. And that's probably foolhardy on my part because all the things that they did last year to put together their roster, they've checked all those boxes again this year. They've got experience. They've got great goaltending with Cam Johnson and Evan Cormier. So, you know, Florida, I just kind of play in the math that I don't think they're going to be able to string together three straight years where they get to the finals and win. But I really like Evansville coming out of that tough South division. Fair enough. 
All right. Well, that concludes today's show. Be sure to catch us next week where you can join myself, Justin, and his mustache. Thank you for listening, folks. Take care.